Welcome to Season 2020, Episode 13, Oil and Water. Manuel walks us through Paul and Mark's 20-year history. And why isn't anyone wearing the number one plate? This is the Pacino Report. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pacino Report, the podcast where we get together an amazing team and talk about all things MotoGP. And what a show we have for you, ladies and gentlemen. In this episode, this show today, right for you now, here and now, we're going to have Brad Binder, Joe Roberts, Xavier Vieje, Cal Crutchlow, you may have heard of some of these writers, in a coup for the Pacino Report. We have organised this week, Mark Marquez and Alex Marquez to interview Paul Spargo about the upcoming HRC move. Every new job starts with an interview. And who better to conduct that interview than those two? Absolutely cracking, read. Absolute exclusive for the Pacino Report. Not the biggest one we've got this week. Manuel actually sat down with Angela Merkel. Yes, the Chancellor of Germany. <laughs> not many people, not many people know that she is the longtime partner of two-time world superbike champion Fred Merkel. A lot of speed in that family. A lot, a lot of speed in that family. Manuel talks to uh, Angela about her return back to German uh, racing. The German IDM Superbike Championship uh, is coming back. Angela herself is uh, working to try and get the uh, restrictions lifted so she can get back onto the bike. She was uh, on record uh, late last year in some very, very controversial comments. I'm sure you will all remember. She's made the switch from BMW over to Yamaha and she wants those restrictions lifted as soon as possible so she can, quote, stuff it to the beamers. Didn't you have to carry a weight restriction on that? <laughs> Look, ladies and gentlemen, before we get to all of that, there are some even larger stars we need to talk to. They're here from the four corners of the globe. How are you, Team Pacino? Hey! I don't understand anything of what you talk about, but it's okay. <laughs> I imagine there is a reason for that. No, it was. it became clear to me during the week that Angela Merkel and Freddie Merkel are related. So <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. I don't know how we didn't see it. <laughs> and Steve Steve Urkel? Yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> the illegitimate love child. Can you imagine how amazing Angela Merkel would look on a, on a superbike? Oh, like, my God, you're giving me nightmares. So they baby. seriously <laughs> are? Or is it just no, that they're not? Oh, now you've ruined it. I, it's not, not a question of cruel. I reckon she'd be wickedly fast. So those voices you can hear uh, in the background, we've obviously got uh, the lovely Andrew Easton. How are you, my dear? Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's all I've got to say. I'm still just blown, I'm blown away by your introduction. I'm just like, keep going, keep going. Uh, I was sitting there, I was going, oh, well, who could we, who would be the coup interview of the year? And I thought no better than Mark and Alex actually interviewing Paul about the incoming position. Like who better? Every new, every new job starts with an interview. Yeah. Um, before we go any further, I, I just actually wanted to give you an update on that, David. All of those interviews have actually been cancelled at the last minute. They, um, <laughs> they, they took a listen to one of our episodes a few weeks ago and they decided they didn't want to come on the show. Yeah, you get a bit of that these days. So. That's obviously uh, Stu from Brisbane you're hearing in the background there. Hey, everybody. How is everyone out there in podcast land? It's been another wonderful week here in uh, sunny Bris Vegas, uh, going very, very well. Getting even more excited, getting closer and closer to racing. I've actually seen some MotoGP news on the on the sports news on the telly this week, so I know it's it's real. It's it's actually getting there. Um, been uh, flickering through uh, lots of lots of online magazines at, at all the headlines coming out, and one that's particularly caught my eye this week. I um I don't mean to do this every week, but it, it's like they set themselves up for it, and they just they just hand me face palms of the week almost every week. So <laughs> it's like they're doing it deliberately. It's like they're it's like they're doing it themselves. The the Ducati factory, <laughs> surprise surprise, once again have have come out with another headline. So they've come out this week, and now they've said that they are Dovi's best choice for a ride moving forwards after 2020. So I just want to clarify, after choosing another rider over him before being forced to backtrack, 
and then forcing him to take a massive pay cut, they've now decided to say that they are his best choice, not he's their best choice, not the other way around giving him a compliment. They've said that they're his best choice, while at the same time throwing him a sideways insult by saying that he's too old to be any good on a KTM because he wouldn't be able to be there long enough and he wouldn't be competitive. So thanks very much, Ducati. Make me take a passive, massive pay cut. Tell you I'm not good enough on another bike and that I'm only ever going to be any good with you. Love it. Sounds like an abusive relationship. <laughs> oh, most definitely. Doesn't it? I think they don't even know they're doing it, you know. Mr. Pacino, what's your take on this? How are you, boss? Hi, hi, you're here from Spain. Uh, we are ready to to finish our lockdown finally. I think oh, it happens wonderful. tomorrow. So oh I don't know what God. I'm going to find when I go through my door. I don't know That's which kind of There's going to be people just wandering around yeah. the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, have you seen the movie on Am Legend? It'd be like that. <laughs> Do you remember how to ride a bike? Do you know what one looks like? Uh, you never. For- there are two things you never forget. And don't tell me about riding a motor a bicycle. It's riding a bike and another thing. <laughs> What's the other thing? The other thing Leading is the other thing. Leading a swimming thing. pool. The yes. other oh, thing yeah, is yeah, the yeah. other thing. <laughs> okay, but look, uh, Stu, what, what you said about Ducati, they, they still are capable to surprise me, you know? They are improving <laughs> their, their absurd every day they speak. It's incredible. It is insane, isn't it? They, and therefore, they, they therefore, and... I have to say that probably Dovizioso, what he spoke into the ear of one of my best friends that he spent the last weekend with Dobby in Forli. Dobby said, look, uh, <clears throat> there is no option for me to go to KTM because they don't pay well. You know, KTM yeah. pay quite... Uh, what they pay to the riders is not even close, not even close what, uh, for example, Duca- uh, Dovizioso can get in Ducati. Mm. And then he said also, look, if I continue racing, which is not sure, the only place where I can do this will be in Ducati. But I don't know how much seriously he's doing this, but he's really thinking in retiring because he said mm. that he's fed up with the politics inside of the Duc- in of Ducati. Exactly. And this is matches basically with what you just uh, explained, what you read. Mm. Ducati, they always uh, manage to improve their <laughs> madness, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Are they always like that or is it the isolation oh, yeah. that's made them a bit? No, uh, Ducati, Ducati a bit is a very strange company. We spoke about this in our other podcast. It's a mm-hmm. very, and it's a, Company that is ruled with the heart, you know, very Italian way, with the passion. And this makes them do things and take decisions that probably nobody else, no, nobody else than Italians understand it. I remember a couple of uh, episodes ago, I, I raised the question to you. I think we're talking about uh, different cultures in, in the boxes. And I said to you, I asked you whether or not um, you know, the way that things are organized would it add confusion to uh, the Ducati way of thinking. Uh, and you were straight back at me and you said, Ducati needs no help in that. Like it's, it's something they're quite capable of doing themselves. They're <laughs> their own worst enemy. <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, yeah, Ducati needs Dovizioso basically because if not, who are they going to hire? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then and Dovi is just thinking in, okay, I am finishing my career. Why not getting another three or four million and then mm. going home, you know? If it's somebody, amazing. Like, if if somebody pays you three or four million a year, why should you quit? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, but they can't even at that point though. When when they're making statements, they can't even say a nice thing about their rider. They have to bring it back to themselves and make it about themselves. It's yeah. It's it's it. Uh, it's and their this way. is this is what uh, Dovizioso is fed about. Exactly that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. One Fair of the enough. things that caught my eye this week was the uh, there wasn't even a, a chance to misinterpret this because it was straight from uh, Paul Spargo's mouth himself, was that he admitted that he's actively looking at Ducati as well. Um, that was a so the, the HRC deal may be on the table, but Paul was like, no, I'm, I'm also looking yeah, at Ducati. Uh, as well. This is a complete, and excuse me, the word is complete bullshit. You know, this is <laughs> that's what we're after. Yeah, the truth. yeah, yeah, no, he just <laughs> want to. Uh, it's, it's a pose. It's yeah. a pose. Ducati. Right. There is no chance. He he's negotiating with Honda, and he will be with Honda unless um, 
KTM fulfills the clause that is on the contract that they have the right to, how do you say in English, to equal the offer of another uh, yeah. customer. Okay. And yeah. I don't know if exactly mm -hmm. when this date will be, but it should be around July 15th. Before that, uh, Paul cannot announce or even sign anything because KTM at the last moment can arrive and cover the bet. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's only fair in a business and contractual sense. Yeah, yeah but it will happen. So that so is that, going to happen. That's probably a good lead into the first segment being uh, the relationship between uh, Paul and Mark over the years. It's looking more than certain that uh, Paul will end up uh, on Honda uh, for next year. Uh, you've had some insight over the last week and been digging up on your channels and speaking to people of, of the relationship between those two over the years. And, um, yeah, so you wanted to dedicate some time this episode to, to walking our listeners through that. So uh, I didn't realise that it was uh, as deep and as uh, ferocious as, as it actually is, Manuel. Um, mm. Those two have, have, have a lot of history together. Well, uh, look, the first thing that um, you have to analyse is when you, we get the news like uh, the one we got on the table that is Paul Espargaro moving to the HRC uh, team and pushing out of the team Alex Marquez, immediately as a journalist, you have to think, okay, you have to look at this from different perspectives, okay? So there is an analysis who, he who is Alex Marquez as a rider. Uh, you should go down to back to his career and analyze what he did and the figures compared with Paul Espargaro and compared with his brother. This is point two. One. The second point is immediately check why HRC has chosen Paul Espargaro. This is another must that somebody has. Uh, if you are a journalist, you have to go through. And the other mm -hmm. one is to... Um, go through the parallel uh, sport lives those two had since they started. Look, it's uh, and now let's go into the, I, I would call this episode or this part, this topic, oil and water, okay? Oil and water that don't mix. And yep. this is exactly mm -hmm. what has, uh, you follow the, uh, the career of these two riders. Uh, they have been basically racing each other for two decades, for 20 years, two decades. This is amazing if you watch back. Then you have to make clear that Paul is two years older than Mark. Correct? Okay. So yep. th this, we start from these two points. Uh, the starting of Paul and... Uh, and Mark was exactly the same. We, uh, in our previous, in one of our previous episodes, we mentioned that Mark started with a special, with being four years old, with a category called Enduro, Enduro for, uh, for children. Okay? Mm -hmm. Both uh, Mark and Paul started with this same uh, way of entering in racing. This is what typical in Catalonia, here in Spain. Very young, very, very, very young, okay? So, so they would have known each other as young and competed from then or because they're different ages it would have no, been? At, at that point, I don't think so because one Mark, when Mark was four and a half when he started, the other one was six. Probably, mm -hmm. maybe they met, but at that time they just met, I imagine, between among a lot of other kids, right? Well, two lots of brothers. <laughs> and yeah. this is also very, look, another, yeah, you mentioned the brothers. It's also something mm. I, I pointed. There is, there are like two families. The two, there are two Marques and two Espargaros, right? So yeah. two, I think I did Aleish. 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 In Alex. one of, was it one of my Manuel incident people? So. That's yes, right. That's right. And for now, once, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> this this year, this year for the for, for the first time, the two Espargaros and the two Marques will meet at the same category. They will race each other. The four of guys, course. okay, for the first time in these twenty decades. Mm. Mm. That's cool. Um, okay, so the first time, the first time, Paul and Mark met as a racing was in 2000. This means 20 years ago, exactly. Okay, and this was in... A was it that one, long ago? 
20 years. Sorry. And we have photos of that. I think we have, uh, we can show in our podcast probably one of these pictures. And it was in one of these promotion um, championship. Remember, imagine that they were extremely young at the time. Okay. Mm -hmm. They raced in the same team. They were in the race, uh, in the same team in a, in a cup called Conti Cup, that was a certain um, a certain type of of bike. Okay, this is two thousand and two. No, two thousand. That year, Paul Espargaro won that championship. It took it took four years for Marquez win the same championship. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, one two thousand two thousand and four mark. Okay, that was the first time they uh, then. They went to uh, another the, with big bikes. They started to race with big bikes in 2003. Okay, again in the same team. And look, it was very interesting because in 2004, in this cut in this category, Paul finished first and Mark <laughs> finished <Again>. second. <laughs> and that same year, Alexis Espargaro was the youngest ever rider to win the Spanish championship. So, look, I, I know that these are numbers, but if it's for you having an idea how it all, how long it took and how they just were um, rolling, rolling, rolling until they get mm. where they are now. Okay. Yeah, this, is, this, is got a, this is a lot of memory uh, for both of them. They would, they, these are not uh, short relationships. These are, these are very, very long memories um, that must be extremely powerful. To these two yeah, but do they really not like each other, or is it just no, no? The, competition? the, the relationship has never been easy among them, you know. But if you see at this point, being two years older, Paul was the one who hmm. won everything because the other one was very small. Look, for having an Until example, a certain point where Mark just went past him. Yeah, but look at uh, two thousand and five. Okay, two thousand and five. Paul started to raise a real champion. That was the Spanish championship. Mm -hmm. And Mark, who was just 12, 2005, 12, and very small. He was such a small kid mm. that he has to race with 20 kilos extra on his bike. Ballast. You, oh yeah. my yeah, 20 kilos. <sighs> so imagine, and for just a weak uh, kid to move this 20 kilos yeah. is an incredible <laughs> effort, right? Mm. So this was a big handicap for Mark because he was very, 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 very small, really small. Even yep. and compared with Paul, that had a normal grow up, so they were like day and night. You know, Paul was the reference. Mm. Paul was the reference. Just on that, Manuel, you've mentioned previously that when HRC look at their uh, telemetry, they're saying that uh, one of the things that stands out for Mark is is his aggressiveness in the ability to change direction on a bike. Do you think that that may have come from he was having to move 20 kilos as such a small child? Like that was No, no, I don't think so. I think that is a consequence of uh, Mark analyzing just and trying to find out how to go faster because this okay. is so, so long ago. And then the, it came a point where Marcus just suddenly grew up, okay? So yes, going uh, through the the years very quickly. So we saw that the first time they met together was in uh, probably two thousand and three, right? Then the, everyone took his his uh, direction, while Paul was more advanced. Mark was catching up. Then they met again in the World Championship in the Premier in the first league in two thousand and eight. Okay, mm -hmm. so there is where. They met, but each on different teams. So they raced yeah. each other, pa, pa, pa. But when it came down to the real, real, uh, uh, how do you say, encounter, no? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Battle. Was, yep. was in 2010 when both raced with the <laughs> same bike. Yeah. With the same bike, a derby, okay? And what happened there? In 2010. That's when Mark, Mark won. Mark turned over the situation. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, there they got past before, Paul, yeah. yes, before Paul was the one who was winning and he was always looking at Mark, at, uh, Mark was looking at Paul. In 2010, everybody, everything turned around. Yeah. And you can imagine 
what this uh, provoked. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. I mean, it, it was still me- close. I, I'm just, I was just looking at the results of that 2010 season. There was like, what, 29 points between them at the end of the season, uh, and that was first to third. So it was, it was a close season. Yeah, but look, 2010, they started for the, after seven years racing each other, suddenly the learner did better than the master, you know? Yeah, yeah. Imagine how much this affected Paul. Like, wow, he, he was wow. there. <laughs> yeah, and, I can imagine. And since then, like oil and water, since then. <laughs> Radically, yeah. you know? Yep. Then they met again in Moto2, and there was an episode in Barcelona in the, uh, how do you say, the home race for both, mm-hmm. an episode where Mark Marquez, uh, how do you say, um, hit yes, yes. Um, Paul Espargaro and, and knocked him down in Barcelona, right? Okay. right? Yep. After the race, it was... A mess, family against family, pushing you, and um, the team of Paul Espargaro made an uh, apply application application against yeah. Mark. Yeah, uh, really. Yeah, application against Mark. The FIM didn't consider it. Then they took this application to the international sports court against hmm. Marquez. Wow. And it, Yes, and it didn't. They didn't uh, accept. Uh, accept yes, but they give it the the reason to mark. Okay, mm. so Paul was rejected. So since then, you can imagine that was the end of any relationship they might have had after that. Yeah, yeah, and there were some wow. harsh words between them. I remember uh, Paul uh, calling "son of a bitch" Marcus. Then he was forced to apologize live on TV. So. Wow. This sounds like if they went to Mark and went, okay, absolutely least, who would be the last person you would want to race with on the same team? It sounds like mm. that's this is who he, <laughs> he'd pick Paul. Yes, exactly. That's something, you know, and now I'm going to break the, the, the script a little bit. Okay, look, let me ask you something. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. We need music for when this happens. Yes. <laughs> let me ask you something that I was thinking about. Behind this uh, move to push out Alex Marquez and introduce Paul Esparga in the team, it seems to be a decision from Honda, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. Okay. What happened in Yamaha? Uh, this year, somebody in Yamaha, new people who arrived in Yamaha, decided that something that nobody has there before to push out the big man, the man who, who had Yamaha under control. Mm-hmm. A new generation inside Yamaha said, okay, enough. We have to take control of our team. We decide what we do with our bikes. They were, and they pushed out the big symbol of Yamaha. They didn't hesitate and push out uh, Valentino Rossi. Nobody had there to do this. It had to come new people to do this. Wasn't that a sign to Honda to say, hang on, Marquez is too powerful. We have lost the control of it. Uh, It's like a kind of maneuver saying, we are the ones who rule this. Mm. You know, and I don't know if it's a coincidence that Yamaha has done something similar and Honda maybe has looked in the mirror and said, hang on, we have to step forward because now we are in the hands of, of Marcus. He had decided who was the second rider. Yeah. We, wanted, we wanted Sarko. He imposed, imposed uh, Alex. You know, this is a thinking I, yeah, I yeah. have. It's almost a, a ca- counter move. And you've spoken about Mark doing things the way Rossi would do things that whole be like him. So that that what you've just said makes sense. Yeah, no, but this is the this is seen from the other side of the world, from the other mm. point of view. Yeah. You know. Now, yeah, man. Well, I think there might be something in this. This is something that I've had in in my mind for over twelve months now. I remember last year, and forgive me because the the names associated with the individuals. Um, that won't come as easily as they do to you, but um, there was a very, very senior um, uh, official within Yamaha that resigned last year 
due to the uh, poor performance that Yamaha was producing uh, on the track. It wasn't it. It was a was either a COO level or CEO level. Yeah, he was the project um, the project leader yes. who, who refused. Yeah. So the narrative that was around that was that that was uh, you know prove me wrong, but that was that there was some work from Rossi in that um, to have that individual uh, fall on his sword. So I've always had that in the back of the mind of perhaps this is this is this is Yamaha. Um, flexing their muscle again to say, no, we are taking control back. That's why I think you might yep. be onto something here. Yeah, look, the, the, this, uh, the man who was fired, or the engineer who was fired due to the lack of performance of the bike was an engineer called Tsumi. Yes, T-S-U-M-I, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he was substituted by one who, whose name was Sumi. <laughs> the, the, the same, the same with, in, without the T in the front, S-U-M-I. Oh, my goodness. And sounds like a I, challenge. If I do things wrong, Sumi. <laughs> so I, I remember talking with Sumi uh, uh, in Phillip Island. He, Which one? The, the new one. The new <laughs> one. The old one. <laughs> And I asked him about if he was in charge of taking decision and so on and so on. And he said, well, the last decision are taken in Japan. Yes. And, and this is very mm -hmm. interesting because, look, if you are involved directly in the paddock, in the MotoGP, you, can, you lose the perspective. You know, if people take decision in Japan, they took it in a much more company way. You understand? Of course, yeah. They, they, mm. they have a yes. perspective. They, They're not making it in the heat of the situation. It's, exactly. It's a much... No, and you are not okay. You may be okay. You maybe know who is Valentino, but then they analyze the situation, the figures, the numbers, yeah. and what happened? Somebody in Japan said, "Okay, it's time to change the." How do uh, you say backdoor. that? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Manuel, that's absolutely fascinating. This is the type of insight that I would not dream of being able to get anywhere else i i wish i could buy you a coffee to to thank you and pay you for this a coffee you say Stu? yeah is there a way that we can do that if there was only a way that our listeners could um find some way to make sure that manuel um is able to do this so i think that but, might be if, if only there was i'll keep this brief listeners um if our listeners look to our show notes they will see a link to one of the fans of the show called Pod Hero. If the fans want to head on over to Pod Hero, create themselves an account, $4.99 a month, and you don't even have to give all of that to us, even though we'd like you to, they are then able to contribute a small amount to the running of this show to guarantee that Manuel can keep coming up with insights and look, basically keeping the stories flowing. We love it exactly. when you dynamite scripts. So <laughs> we do. <yeah>. <laughs> That's <laughs> what we're here for. And I'll tell you, I love Pod Hero. I, I'm using it all the time now. They've got my $5 a month. And, and I love that I can allocate every month who I'm going to give a dollar to, and I can change that every month. It doesn't Are you giving have us to be the same person. Yeah. What's that? Are you giving us a dollar? No, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, ladies and gents, in the show notes, go and check out Pod Hero and we'll happily buy Manuel a coffee on your behalf, even though he drinks Indeed. There, There's an insight into the big man himself. Um, we let that one the hard way, putting coffees in front and they get gently pushed back at you. So, <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll Lady in the Tramp Star with the nose. That's it. Look, Manuel, it was another one that um, everyone in 2021 is going to be vying for that championship. And it was something that, when you mentioned it earlier in the week, absolutely blew my mind away. Um, something I honestly hadn't thought of. Yes, that everyone is striving to win that championship, but the um, in, the will to put the number one on the front of that bike mm. uh, just doesn't exist. What do I mean by that? When was the last time we actually saw? And the reasons why a bike on the grid with a number one on the front. Well, yes, this is, uh, look, uh, I just thought about this and it is something amazing for me. The last guy who, who put that number on the bike had a very nice sentence about this. Mm -hmm. He said, 
Let me see if I remember the whole sentence. He said something like, the champion should always put the number one on his bike for everybody who goes to a circuit know who is the best. Nice. Yep. Hang on. So they... Now they have their normal numbers. Mm-hmm. Is that is that like a licensed type thing, or it's just a here's your number, so they can? No, they they choose a number and they, they, they stick with that they number want. as much as possible through their career. Most of them. Look, the the, the normal thing until the marketing took uh, care of this, the marketing and the merchandising. The normal is that the riders would wear wear would uh, yes <laughs> show <laughs> the number of the position they had finished the the season last year. Before. Yeah, that's yeah. That was that, that was the tradition. Yeah. That would make yeah. sense. That was yeah. the normal thing. That was the normal thing until marketing and merchandising appeared. I think wasn't wasn't Barry Sheen one of the first to stop doing that? He's had the number seven all the yeah, time. Yeah, look, the, the there are some mythical numbers. Okay, in racing, the number mm-hmm. seven of Barry Sheen, the number thirty-four of Kevin Schwantz, mm-hmm. the forty-six of Valentino, the sixty-nine of Nikki. Okay, but the first. To give away the number one of cha- of, of a champion was Barishin. Yeah. Okay, and this happened when Barishin Andra he was he won the world title in 1976, mm-hmm. some months ago. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, I remember. And just before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> you did and, a man. You did it on um, Barishin. He was the one who lost his virginity in a in, in a, a crypt. crypt. In a crypt. Yeah. That's all I know about him. That's all I'll ever remember. <laughs> Andra Barrichin was uh, the predecessor of uh, Valentino Rossi in terms of popularity. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. super famous at uh, this time in England. He was one of the the, the guys who appeared in these uh, magazines, so, social Just society yeah. magazines. Yeah, it's like and people love that, don't they? They love the personalities. So I don't follow politics, but I would think and I know we've got some Australian listeners. We had a prime minister called Bob Hawke, and I thought he was bloody tops because he could scull a beer. <laughs> so I'm do, I know that's not related, but you know Rossi and and Barry Sheen, they seem to have that personality that personality. draws people in. They're not just amazing at what they do; they draw people in. I've always suspected that a lot of Barry's like sort of power with the media was around his hair. He had some amazing oh. hair. Oh yeah. Like it was, yeah. A lot of people put a lot of, you know, sort of emphasis on hair. But that's that's a cracking set of hair on Barry. Got to appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. You take that away, he's lost a lot of his power. Yep. <laughs> so, but after after Barry, though, we had a lot of it, it. Went very much went back to normal when people won the championship. They had the number one. Yes. And, and, but let me tell you, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Stu, but there is a very funny anecdote, again, mm. with Barrichin. He won the championship 76 and 77, right? Mm-hmm. Twice in a row. Then, if we looked at the photos, uh, Andra, you are the Google, On Google yep. look yep. at Kenny Roberts, 78. Oh, Was it the hair? I'm going to have a look at this one as well. Kenny yeah. Roberts at the 78, he was carrying the number one on his Yamaha. That should oh, be. Oh, that should on, have been Barry's. Yeah, it should be on Barry's bike. But as he didn't uh, wanted it, uh, Kenny, without having won anything, he used that number one. So for ah. the for the older guys, if you if you the image you have of Kenny. Is always on this yellow and black Yamaha carrying the number one that he never won with that bike. All the titles he got was with the white, red, and black. How is that even allowed? How could you? How could you carry the number one if you hadn't won the previous year? It was free, and he caught it. It was free. Oh wow! Oh my god! At the time, you took you took the number that was yeah that was that was free. So does this mean that Tito Rabat could essentially roll up on the grid on the on the Vinci Ducati with the number, number one, one on the front because it's free? <laughs> well, I don't know if in Dorna's ages were like this, but and I tell you something more that is hyper funny. Okay, Andra, uh, France Grand Prix 1975, Phil Reed. Phil oh. Reed. Oh, did they have that cameras a- back then? 
1975, France, Phil Reed. Look the number he was uh, he had on his bike. 1975, 1975. was that? 1975. I'll race you, Stu. Oh, it's the classic. Zero. Uh, it's number one. Yeah, Sandra. Zero. First, but yeah, the zero. The zero. What does that okay. mean? And what does <laughs> He's still speed racer. And he was the world champion. That so he's, year. Be, he's, he's better than first. Is that he's what Someone's saying? got number one. I'm going with zero. <laughs> he's better you than first. You yeah, want the start? Okay. French Grand Prix. The organizer offered the money for the riders to race. And Phil Reed said that it wasn't enough, that he would not race because it was not the money he expected. So... They gave the number one to a Finnish guy called Teuvo Lansivori. Right. Okay. Again, that number was free. They gave it. But then Phil Reed decided that he accepted that money and he wanted to race. But his number was taken by the other one. So he said, no, 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 I am the champion. I want the number one. The organization said, no, here you have the number. I think it was 59 or something like this. So <laughs> Phil Reed got super up, upset and he applied to the FIM, to the International Federation, oh, saying. You've taken it to wow. mom. And dad. Yeah. Wow. yeah, no, look, it's incredible. He's saying, I am the champion. I want the number one. What did the Federation do? With a Salomonic decision, <laughs> he said, they gave oh, him no. donuts. No, no, so no, no, no. He he said, I am the champion. I want to be at the top of the list because I am <laughs> oh the champion. My God. So they, they so decided for number one. Exactly. So they decided you want to be at the top of the list. Okay, zero. And this was the uh, only race oh. where a bike has been on the track with the zero. That is is that even a number? That's not even a number. It could have been points. Point five or that's like having something. infinity as your number. But like, isn't that isn't that funny? It's incredible, <laughs> isn't it? Wow, that's gold. <laughs> a big okay. donut. Okay, now let, just out of curiosity, has has FIM amended any of the um, governing rules to protect that sort of behaviour since, or is are these still loopholes that could be used today? Uh, I don't know. I really don't know how it works today. Uh, probably, uh, I can't see Tito Rabat wearing the number one. He, by the way, he wears also always the number fifty-three. Uh, but um, going back to the to the to the story, we see that Barishin in seventy-seven and seventy-eight, he doesn't use the number one. Okay, then we ha- it after him every every year the champion used that number one until Valentino Rossi. Valentino Rossi did win the 125 World Championship, but he switched to the next category, so he entered into 50 uh, as a, so he didn't use it. Mm-hmm. He yeah. won mm-hmm. into 50, switched to uh, 500, didn't use it. But Break when he won cycle. his first title in 2001, he decided not to wear the number one. Mm. And since then, it has turned into – he has never done it. Yeah. So does that just show the influence he has over racing again? Or will they bring it back? Someone else might do it. I don't know. I think at the time, he didn't have as much influence as he does now. Sure, he, he was obviously still a major figure. He was a world champion. But it was very much a marketing decision that his team made internally. And for some reason, I don't know why, the FIM or Dorna just, just didn't – argue it with it there's there's it no rule like that says you have to yeah it seems he, like a lot of hassle but hmm. his management introduced the merchandising that's mm-hmm. basically happened. Yeah. if you look at his leathers i don't know now because i have haven't checked but he used to wear the number one here in the back of his that's right on the back one yes you know? yeah as a world champion yeah so Dave. in the in the modern era i don't know whether this is true or not man well you know, feel free to well and truly correct me, but I get a sense that for anyone to carry the number one, it's almost seen as, nowadays is seen as um, arrogant, like overly arrogant. Oh. You know, the, the French word of, of, of gauche. It, it's it's too much. I I, I I really don't think so. I think so. The, the number one, you are you are in the right, and you have, in my opinion, you have to show. Oh, yeah. I am the I am the best. I am the oh, champion. Yeah. 
I, I have I have an opinion about this as well, and, and and it might be a bit old fashioned, but I really see wearing the number one also as honouring all of those mm-hmm. other riders, all of those other world champions that have come before you. I see anyone that's wearing that number one is wearing it for all of those other guys as well. Absolutely. And, and to not do that is a big decision. I agree. Mm. That's at an individual level, but at a at a at a sort of at a sport level. The reason I say that, it was sort of reinforced by an interview that was done a couple of weeks ago between uh, Jonathan Ray and Scott Redding, world superbike protagonists, and they were speaking about how it's becoming more and more unpopular in the paddock to express your dislike for other riders. They said there are some riders, and they called them out, um, that they genuinely dislike. They said they, they yep. will actively, said that, you know, sportsmanship on the track, They'll shake hands, but they will do absolutely everything they can to annihilate certain riders because it is at a deeply, deeply personal level. Colin mm-hmm. Edwards has gone on about this, about coming up to the front of a grid, looking over just before start, saying that all you want to do as a rider is rip the other rider's heads off and shit down their neck. That, yep. that's <laughs> well, Colin, Colin is from a certain place called Texas. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and not backwards and coming forwards. <laughs> you listen to, to uh, both Ray and Redding, and they're saying that that attitude and that presence in the media is now frowned upon. They said that mm. they've got to be very, very careful um, in how that they are, because everyone wants to be seen as friends and hugging yep. in parks. Especially amongst like MotoGP and Moto2. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, exactly. Everyone's friendly, exactly right. very and sterilized. Thought, absolutely right. And I just thought, wouldn't it, it, an extension to that of wearing that number one, um, it's really not coming into that collegial um, we're mm. all friends here, but I'm with you. We'd like to stick it to them. Let's dominate. <laughs> I don't think at all because look, after Valentino decided not to to use it, we have seen uh, Nicky Hayden using the number one. Mm-hmm. We have seen Casey Stoner using the number one. Yep. We have seen Jorge Lorenzo using the number one. At the end, yeah, it's like a prize. I'm not I'm not agreeing yeah. on the on the Jorge number one. Jorge. Like, even when you explain that to me, like walk he, the listeners. He wore his initials on the front of the bike. Come on, everyone yeah. knows that. You you, uh, <laughs> you excuse me, but your Anglo Saxon don't understand us Latins. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually I actually looked at the shape yeah. of it and thought of something else. If you <laughs> squint a little bit and it's yeah. dark and you're on the right angle, maybe it sort of looks like a number one, but apart from that, it says JL. It's a great. Remember Michelangelo, Da Vinci. You know you you don't understand this. You don't. Oh, you're get saying this. it's art. <laughs> you don't. Yeah, you don't get it. I'm sorry. What can I do? Bloody colonials. <laughs> How did that marketing go for him? <laughs> yeah, I would have no, liked yeah, to have but, been in that But in the case of Jorge, he used it one year after winning his first champion, and then yeah. he didn't use it again. I mm. look, tell me something. Look, ah, let me tell you something. I asked Mark Marquez if he wouldn't like to use at last, at least, mm-hmm. at least once the number one. Yeah. How long ago did you ask him this? And you know the answer? The answer was, ah. and no, 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 he said, no, 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 no. I said, why not? He said, what, what do you think all these people who, that buy the T-shirt, the caps, with the 93 would yeah. think about. Yeah. So I told, I told him, yeah. look, Mark, your fans would adore to yeah. see you with the number one on your bike. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they would, you would show, it would mean that you are the champion and your mm-hmm. fans would be following you and not because you just take off one year, the 93. And then, you know, that's, he was like, and you know what he immediately said? He said, hey, I put in 2015, the number one on my boot and in, on the back of my leathers, and <laughs> see and see how it went for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Meaning superstitious. Ah, oh. it's the superstition of change. That's a whole other rabbit hole to go down, isn't it? Say, the superstition. Yeah. You that's, know, not so, even, that's not so, even catering to the to the media. That's catering to a whole different set of gods. Yeah, <laughs> but at the end, this is a. Violins. He doesn't. He don't. He doesn't do it because of the merchandising. But yeah. look, hang on. 
how nice look we all like racing even even andra who hasn't seen one can you believe that i was daydreaming about that just a minute ago i was just like oh my god episodes done before andra sees a race like this is unbelievable (laughs) (laughs) and you think i've asked some dumb questions the dumb questions are coming (laughs) but how how would it be for me it would be incredible to see valentino riding a number one bike. It won't happen because he won't win a champion. Mm -hmm. But this is something that we will miss. Imagine the number Mm. one. Mm -hmm. Wow. that's So who who do you reckon is going to be the next person? Out of the current crop of new guys coming through, future world champions, who will wear the number one? Oh, I've already got one. I I would adore, adore to see... Uh, Quartararo with the number. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Really? (laughs) Even I was going to say, I was going to say, definitely. Do you reckon this is his year or not yet? No, no, no. This year, no. We have seen, we have said that never ever in the history of the championship, a non factory bike Mm -hmm. has won Mm -hmm. a championship. So it but I suppose with the, with the season being what it is, it's it's, a, it's going to be a crazy season. You know, when we're when we're four or five races in, let's have that conversation again. Who knows what might happen? <laughs> we will see. We will. See. And let me just going through back uh, number one. We haven't seen number one since the arrival of Moto Three category. Never mm-hmm. ever, be- yeah. because all the champions jumped immediately. Move up to in Moto ah. Two. We have had an exception. Tito Rabat used his number one when he won his uh, championship. And Johan Sarko didn't. Johan won twice the championship mm-hmm. and he didn't give up his or give away his number five. So at least Tito was the o- has been the only, the only rider in Moto2 to use that fantastic number one. If mm. they use the number one, can, can someone take their other number? Yes. Yes. Maybe that's Ooh. something to do with it. Oh, yeah, they're, they're trying to keep. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's a because if you know, yeah, I'm number five. I'm definitely going to be number five again. Mm-hmm. But if I take number one, I risk losing that. And like you say, with marketing, and they, you know, they'd get attached to their number. And imagine having to race against your own number. Oh, that would piss you off, wouldn't it? <laughs> and they'd probably do it to each other just to piss each other off. Exactly, yeah. No, no, because nowadays all have uh, merchandising with their own numbers. Yeah, yeah, true. Look, yeah. in exa- for example, uh, Danny Pedrosa, he raced that we all identify with the 26. He mm-hmm. raced with the number two. And he raced with number three. He said, I wanted to use the number two because I wanted mm. to show the world that I was the runner-up. Yep. You know, to, Treville, to, to, to use the number one is is an image, is a message. Here mm-hmm. I am. Here I am the best. And anybody who goes to a circuit looks at the starting grid and sees, mm-hmm. wow, mm-hmm. this is the man. Yeah, you know, that guy's the they, best. Yeah, that should be like this, I think. Yeah. Can't they just paint their tires yellow or pink or something and you go, there, that's them? <laughs> There's got to be another Sorry. way to highlight it without changing numbers and things. You know, the rider who the rider who has used more times the number one in racing, Aaron you know, Slight. You know, because he Snap. was 111. Sorry, go on, Manuel. Sorry. No, that, he was. That meant he was three times what? Yeah. runner up. Yeah. Always. There was obviously was Agostini who has won fifty world titles. And he always wore the number one, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and if you look at Agostini, then you hardly will find if you find a photo without the number one on his bike. Yeah, exactly. Does that go with the with the man himself though? Is it he's very out there, he's very uh yeah, very Latin in the way that he celebrates uh that side of things. Um, it's like I said, I still keep coming back to that. That that level of open, in your face dominance, um, I think, is mm. being shaped out in the media. Yeah. No, no, it's a, maybe it's it's a price of a well done work job. You have been better than the rest, mm. and you. It's like in the Olympics, you get a gold medal. This is the gold medal of. Yeah, racing. you get the number one plate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, Manuel, when you 
when you get into the paddock, can you just start going to people, oh, my God, did you hear? They're bringing back the number one thing and, and just start a rumour. Sounds <laughs> 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 like that's what they're doing with everyone else. Give it a the go. The rumour is... The rumour is because of the change of format this season, whoever wins has to wear the number one next year. <laughs> yeah, spread it around. But, but I tell you something. He will get uh, – if if any rider does it, he will be get notoriety more mm. probably because of that because of winning the championship. Yeah. yeah. You know? I think that's fascinating. It all went for yeah, Quattararo being uh, our, our, our boy in the paddock to be able I to know, yeah, that's – um, and then they go, where did you hear about that from? And you can say, the Pacino report. Oh, and wow. everyone will go, oh, they know what they're talking about. And boom, there we go. I reckon we should end it on a high. Uh, we, we, we're going to go out with uh, not only will uh, Fabio take out uh, World Championship, not this year or even next year, um, but he's going to be the one who brings the number one plate to the uh, front of that Yamaha. Indeed. There'll, be, there'll be some crying in the Honda camp, but uh, I can hear the celebrations beginning in the Lynn Jarvis camp already. Feebly so. <laughs> <laughs> Yamaha. <laughs> Look, ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to thank uh, our co-host with Andrew Stu. Thanks for uh, yeah, making your effort to get yourself out of your pyjamas, Stu. It's always good to I see you with a collar. It was the least I could do, you know. I, I even had a shave this week for you as well, you know. But, wow. You know, yeah, next week, maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> Manuel, uh, has, uh, it looks as though he's seen some sunlight and um, I don't believe that uh, he remembers how to ride a bike, so I want to see some proof on, on the socials. I want to get back on two wheels uh, in, the, in, in the coming days. Boss, thank you so I'm much. I'm getting out and being free, Manuel. Mm. I can't wait to hear what it's like being let back out into the world. I hope he turns up next week for our next episode. Which colours are the the people who are walking in the streets? Which colours <laughs> do they? Are they green? Are they yellow? Just go straight through them. Don't worry. Don't worry about that. Just keep riding. Oh. Fine. Oh, I, could, I could hear the lawsuits already. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before before we do sign off, I just want to remind all of the people who are listening in our locality in Australia had some amazing news this week. Uh, racing is back in Australia. The Aussie Superbikes are back on. The, the first round is back on the 26th of July at Phillip Island. Wow. So, what would also yeah. be happening that weekend, Stu? Uh, that might be a certain uh, little Stewie's birthday as well. So <laughs> yeah. if Queensland decides to yeah, if Queensland decides to open their borders, I'm going to be straight down to the island, and I'll be the drunk guy at the side of the track going yeah. yeah. <laughs> so nothing will change. Nothing yeah, has exactly, changed. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing will change. Brilliant, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. We're going to put that one in the can and get that out to you. Um, Ladies and gents, stay safe. See you next week. Stay upright. Bye. Adios. Ciao.